The following episode of the Comics and Crypto Podcast is for informational purposes only, and anything expressed by the hosts or their guests is solely their opinion. This podcast does not constitute financial advice, and anyone wishing to invest should seek their own independent financial or professional help. Have fun, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Sean O'Hare, and I know comics. Hi, I'm Spencer Vogel, and I know crypto. Hi, I'm Kevin Lee Loader, and I don't know sh- This is the Comics and Crypto Podcast. Comics and Crypto So something that we learned from your YouTube channel and reference actually fairly often on the podcast is the blue ocean, red ocean strategy. I'd love to hear you speak on that a little bit and that investment strategy and maybe how it can apply to other things outside of comics. So one of the things that I try to do on the channel is, is I take things that happen outside of the hobby and I bring it to the hobby, right? I, I was a professional bodybuilder at one point. So I, I brought some of the bodybuilding, it's subjective stuff into the hobby I'm an MBA and work full-time in marketing. And so uh, years ago, I read a book called uh, The Red Ocean, Blue Ocean Strategy, right? Or The Blue Ocean Strategy, I think is what it's called. And I used that concept and applied it to comics, right? Because again, no one was doing this and you have to find a way to be unique. So that's how I do it. I pull in these outside influences. And so the, the gist of it is most people are very comfortable competing in the red ocean and the ocean is red because it's competitive it is bloody it is fierce right people get swept up in fighting for that little piece of turf and what people fail to realize is that they can actually be incredibly successful by going out and finding and or creating their own blue ocean where there is no competition, where they are the only person that is out there and they can have great success. When you take a step back from it, there is more people fighting for small red oceans than there are people creating their own blue oceans. The idea was to pull that into comics and apply it to comics and honestly, collectibles in general. So it comes down to, do you go after the comic that everyone else is going after? Do you go after the the hot book that is being driven up in value because everybody is bidding it up on eBay and everybody is fighting over it, like paying extra money for it just because it's the hot book, because it was just optioned or because the trailer just dropped or because somebody whispered that this was going to be the next new hotness? Or do you find that that book out there that has a lot of potential that no one is paying attention to and that you can pick it up because no one's bidding on it? Or is it that book that was hot a month ago? And it's now cooled off and there's fewer people competing over it, right? So it's this idea of where do you spend your hard-earned money, right? If you can get a book for 50 bucks, do you buy for 50 bucks or do you wait until that book is $500 and buy it then? It's as simple as that. That is the blue ocean, red ocean strategy. Where do you compete? How do you spend your money? That philosophy has been so impactful for me personally. And we've actually used it in, in different markets as well. And especially in the VHS market, which is really new. Yep. And also the video game market. It's a video game market. Did you credit me for it though? Did I? Oh, I, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh believe oh, me. Sean oh, yeah. you all the time for it. <laughs> yeah, I do. Very, very I do. Yeah. 
Your name has probably <laughs> showed up on our channel like at least ten times there over you the go. past year. And the reality is that it's applicable to a lot of things. You get a new car and you're driving around. All you see is your car. That's like a red ocean thing. You're focused on that thing and that's all that you see. But the reality is that there's way more cars out there, right? It, it seems like everybody wants this book. Well, that's true. So why go after that comic that everyone is going after right now, right? And I've created a whole series of videos in which I've tried to highlight blue ocean books, right? Books that have, you know, first appearances or things that significantly happen in them. I articulate the rationale for why this is a good book to potentially pick up. And, and you'll be surprised how human nature will force you, if you will, to ignore that opportunity, but go after the book that is now 10 times higher than what you could have gotten it for last week. It is human nature for whatever reason to go after the hot book when everyone else is going after it versus going after that thing that no one else is paying attention to. Can you be contrarian? That is the thing. For a lot of our community, they they look at digital collectibles and we think about the IP as well, like the popularity of these characters, especially. One actually that dropped recently was Miles Morales. He, he dropped a, it was a FA statue of Miles Morales and three different variants. They're really cool, but they were really low editions compared to the first appearance of Spider-Man, yeah. which had like 60, 60 over 60,000 editions, Spencer. This one only had that, like, yeah. like five maybe 5,000 total editions. Mm -hmm. So the demand is really high, but the supply is really, really low. So that's a, a good example of something that's in the red ocean. I feel like it's going to continue to be that way for quite some time. We've seen that thing, man, it's a secret rare statue sold for over $10,000. And Miles Morales is a dope character. Oh, so cool. Miles is a dope, dope character. And for a long period of time, that book, you know, his first appearance, Ultimate Fallout 4 was $90. It's so a $90 yeah. book. Then it shot up to thirty three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it may be sitting around two thousand dollars or so right now. But um, I think I own one of those Superman statue, uh, Spider Man statues where he's hanging. I think I have oh, yeah. one of those. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. I do not have the Miles Morales, unfortunately, but I do have a full run of Miles Morales comics sitting wow. off to my left. Oh, beautiful. Oh, amazing. Um, you know, I, I think what what's really cool is that to some degree or another, both Marvel and DC have both recognized the value of the IP that they have, right? The, these are companies that appreciate their IP. They know that they have something. And I think it's cool that they've chosen to work with people that focus on NFTs and, and two very different approaches between Marvel and DC. Um, but they're working with these these leaders and they're making their IP available in a digital format. And I think it's wonderful. I really do. Yeah. So what do you think of your overall sense of the, the comic book market right now? And what excites you for the future of, of comic books and especially collecting comic books? We have been on a roller coaster roll. Uh, yeah, we have. <laughs> roller coaster ride, sorry. Over yeah. over the last couple of years. The the pandemic was just was amazing in a lot of respects, right? Uh, my YouTube channel grew like nobody's business, right? We saw the value of comics skyrocket. Uh, and now we are we are post-pandemic, if you will. And the economy isn't uh, in the best of places versus maybe where it was before. So you have a lot of people that are fearful. You know, comics are going to collapse and that values are going to plummet. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, we haven't reached the bottom yet. We haven't reached it. You know, I, I am much more optimistic about um, 
comics, about collectibles, and about the long term, maybe than a lot of people. And, and part of the reason for that is I, as I do spend time looking at the data, I spend time looking at the numbers and I've seen the value of a lot of really awesome comics come down, some to the point where they were in 2020, some close to 2020. Uh, but the reality is that a lot of books seem to have stabilized. They seem to have come down and some of them have had a little bit of a bounce. And, and does that mean that that bounce will continue an upward trend? I don't know, but but they seem to have stabilized. And I think the determining factor will be what happens with the larger economy, right? Because I think that that's one of the things is that people sometimes look at uh, collectibles, whether you're talking about digital or not, they look at them as this isolated thing and they're not. We are whole people that operate outside of this, this spectrum of collectibles, right? We have bills to pay. We have families. We have responsibilities. And so if we're not considering the larger economy, then we're not fully appreciating all of the influences that could impact our hobby. Long term, I believe that comics are, are going to be fine. This is not the 90s. That is one thing I keep telling people. This <laughs> yeah. is not the 90s, okay? Even though it might feel that way, this is not that. There are distinct differences between what happened in the 90s and what is happening right now. Can you maybe explain to, to our listeners and viewers what, what happened in the 90s? The 90s was was Hot Mess Express. <laughs> <laughs> the, the quality of comics were, were just atrocious. Uh, you had Diamond and other distributors that were giving away uh, accounts willy-nilly to anybody, right? You didn't have to have a physical store. You didn't have to meet certain criteria. So they were basically saying, hey, I am, I am a comic book shop. I want to buy comics on credit. And they were extending that credit. And then, you know, the economy got bad. People could not pay those bills. Marvel and DC weren't in a great financial place. Comic shops weren't in a great place. Diamond was extending credit to anybody. Um, and, and it all just started to collapse in on itself. And it, it became really, really ugly. I think Diamond, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they had, let's just say, 10,000 comic book accounts. There's not 10,000 comic shops out there. These were individuals yeah, yeah. that wow. had diamond accounts that were buying comics on credit, basically. And, and I know this because I bought a collection of 100,000 comics. These comics were still packaged as if they came from diamond because the guy was buying them, I think, in bulk from, from <laughs> places like diamond. And, and oh, he man. wasn't the only one. So that house of cards began to collapse. Again, Marvel and DC were not on the best footing in the 90s. I think didn't uh, uh, Marvel file for bankruptcy in the 90s? It's a different ball game now. It's both companies are in a much stronger financial position. You have, what, 20 some odd years of, or I can't remember how many years Marvel Studios has been around. Yeah, it's getting close. But a lot of money has been generated. It is not the 90s now. You don't have people coming in off the streets buying a ton of comics on credit. You don't have them buying a ton of them thinking that they're going to get rich. What you do have is a lot of collectors and speculators uh, that are also investors that are maybe buying a lot of books, right? And But they're selling those books and turning around and using some of those money to go buy other books to invest back in the hobby. Your mom's not running in trying to buy 20 copies of the latest image comics to get a billion dollars. Do you think that grading comics had a really positive impact on what happened in the 90s, like as far as the collectibles market itself? I, I think graded comics is a mixed bag, just being honest. I, I think that 
graded comics brought a certain amount of legitimacy to collectibles. Um, they made it possible to remove some of the subjectivity from comics and, and to de-risk comics, made it easier for people to be able to understand what is this thing actually worth. So I think there's a lot of good that came with it, but I think there's also some bad that has come with it as well, right? Books are um, way more expensive now than they were before, right? Because now it's a little bit of a commodity. You have investors that are looking at comics as an alternative form of investment. You have you know, a lot of outside influences that are coming in. And so like with most things, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad. Right. I personally think that there is more good that has come from grading companies than bad, but you have to acknowledge both at the same time because both are real. It's starting to spread into other markets as well, as you can see behind <laughs> video games and VHS tapes and how people are reacting to it. It's been fun seeing how people are reacting to graded collectibles. It kind of feel like little museum pieces too. I think that's one of the cool things about what well, there's many cool things about it, but one of them is you you can actually now show your stuff off. You don't yeah. have to hide it. You don't have to hide it in a box, right? And 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 only enjoy it like when you go into the room and you dig in that box and you pull it out. You can put it on a wall, you can put it on a shelf, you can show your friends when they come over. I think, you know, one of the good things is that it's made collectibles a little maybe more respectable, a little more legitimate. And uh, it allows us to maybe enjoy them a little bit more, you know, and I think that I think that's cool. I think that's all cool stuff. But again, like I said, there's some bad that comes along with that as well, right? We're facing a bunch of fake comics that are that are out there right now with the good comes some bad and you have to acknowledge that that's wild yeah crazy right terrifying. terrifying yeah that's what graded books were supposed to help with is is de-risking it to make sure you knew what it was that you were going to get right that you were purchasing and and for those that don't know essentially what you have is you have people that are and i'm assuming here taking inexpensive books that have been graded by a grading company cracking that book out, right? Opening the case, if you will, taking that book out and creating a fake version of a real expensive comic and aging the comic, you know, making it look age in a way that it matches what's in the database with the grading company. So if it, if the database says, this is a, a X-Men number one with a subscription crease, they take their photocopied comic and they fold it in half to basically give it a subscription crease. And they put it back in the case. They give it a, a fake label. They seal it up and they sell it. And because you can't touch it or open it, you don't realize that it's blank on the inside. You're looking at it in the case and you're like, well, the, the graders don't say that it has a subscription crease. I see a subscription crease. This must be a legit book. Now, what's really interesting is that there are comic shops that are actually falling for this. These are not necessarily individuals. It is localized, we think, to the Pacific Northwest. And it seems like a lot of these books have gone into comic shops. And it's the shop owners that are being taken advantage of because some of them are buying the book and then cracking it open and realizing that it's blank on the inside. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Now, here, this is an evolution because I want to say a year and a half ago, we started to see these fake comics come out. These aged artificially, you know, artificially aged comics that had newspaper print, like they were like complete legit recreations of comics that were being sold on eBay. 
And I actually spoke to one of the guy. I had a, an email exchange with the guy asking him questions. He was like, I do this because I love the hobby and I love comics and people can't afford these. So I want to produce them, but I recognize that they could be used for bad things. So I want to be very careful. I mean, he was like saying all the right, right things, but I'm like, dude, you're, you're making fake comics. But what's great about those fake comics is that when you touch them, you can feel, you can feel them that it's not the real aged paper, but when it's in a slab, you can't touch it. Actually, I want to I want to show you something. I got a good story for you, Reggie. This is more of a disappointment, but yeah, it's it's also it falls yeah. into the same category. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan, and Kobe Bryant had a film called Dear Basketball, an yeah. animated short film that won an Academy Award uh, for best animated short film. And we're big into Academy screeners, so these DVDs and VHS tapes were sent to the Academy members to for voting. There is a copy sold online. Of Dear Basketball, that's fake. Okay. I have multiple copies of this. And there was another version, which was more of a sleeve, but it was way more legitimate. The plastic on this, you just like see mm. plastic is coming off. I told Spencer, I, said, I think it's fake, man. We got to send this out to yeah. a professional. And sure enough, it was confirmed. They said, this is fake. I told them to, I mm. give them a heads up. I said, you got to check it out and see if this is fake. And they said, yep. And that's the thing is anytime money is involved, there will be bad actors. And yeah. it doesn't matter the hobby or the collectible or whatever it is. People, bad actors will try to separate you from your cash. And so what we see in, in the comics is the same as what you see in sports cards and I guess in uh, DVDs. I think yeah. that was a DVD, right? So you see this Crazy. copy, guys. Do not buy this on eBay. There's one seller yeah. selling like 50 of them. <laughs> Don't it's do brutal, it. brutal, brother. It's brutal. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to ask you how much you pay for it, but there's so many scams out there. Early on when I came back into the hobby, I was I was being greedy, right? Speaking of you know collectors and their emotions, right? I was being greedy, and I and I came across an opportunity. I think it was on Facebook. I can't remember to get AF fifteen. I was like, man, I'm yeah. going to get this AF fifteen, right? Yeah. And uh, I sent the person money, talked to him on the phone, sent them money, and they went radio silent. And because it was it was it was uh, PayPal. Sorry, it was PayPal that I sent the, the money. I was able to stop it and recover my money. And what's really crazy is there was another YouTuber that fell for the exact same scam in, in a different part of the country that messaged me. And he had received the exact same images that I had of AF-15. And it, this was this was 2017, 2018 timeframe. So this wasn't like last week, but, uh, you know, I've created a whole series of videos on don't fall for the scam. Don't catch for the don't catch the brick. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Scrutinize. Trust no one. Trust but verify kind of stuff because yeah. of that experience. And and the scammers have have um, they've they've elevated their game. Because now they they will talk to you on the phone. They will send you multiple photos. Uh, they're doing all the things that we depend upon for credibility. They're using those things against us, right? And we just have to continue being uh, diligent. We have to continue because they will continue to come for us. Sorry, sorry that happened to you, brother. That sucks. Oh, uh, thanks. No, it's okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, fortunately, it wasn't as as bad as it could have been. Yeah, um, but yeah. but we are actually did have a chance to buy a couple real ones, and they're actually being graded. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to get those. Yeah. I'm really excited to get those back. Yeah, definitely do to be encapsulated. But more importantly, getting back to what I mentioned earlier, you have DC and Marvel that recognize the value of their IP and they are working with, with VV and, and others to put that IP out there in the digital space, which in my mind bodes well for physical collectors.